and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? It's like oxygen. What? Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need uh, is love. Love is just a game. I was made for love. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the movie musical Shakedown. I am your host, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog at onstageblog.com. Really excited you're joining us this week for what should be a excellent and timely episode of the movie musical shakedown because we are doing 2001's moulin rouge really excited to do this podcast obviously the reason why we're doing it now is that the broadway adaptation of the movie has just started previews here in new york city so i thought what better time to dig back into this nicole kidman ewan mcgregor classic than right now and i gotta tell you it was a fun rewatch there are some Moments that are, of course, you know, yeesh, if you will. But other than that, it's a overall enjoyable movie. And this movie came out towards the end of my sophomore year of college. It was like the, you know, for, especially within my theater crowd, like the movie to go see. Like we talked all summer about it. Literally the next school year, as soon as this thing came out on DVD, like it was constant replay, constant viewing parties, singing duets left and right um it was a huge part of pop culture for a while and of course like lady marmalade was like the song of the summer of 2001 i mean let's be honest and so this thing was just all over the place gigantic hit made on a paltry 50 million dollar budget i mean that's when you look at this movie you're saying to yourself how in the world was this movie made on a 50 million dollar budget but it did Ended up grossing about $57 million domestically and 179 globally. So not, I, I mean, even for 2001 standards, not a huge, huge commercial success at the box office. But of course, like, like we all know, it's, it's lived on um, in you know, cult status, which is why we're getting a Broadway musical. Ended up winning two Oscars. Uh, after being nominated, by the way, for, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture. Best Actress, Nicole Kidman, got a nomination. This is like at the beginning of her I'm going for an Oscar period type thing. Um, and she would get it a couple years later. But not surprisingly, Catherine Martin, who did both the costumes and the art set decoration, who is married to Baz Luhrmann, uh, won her Oscars for this film. And it is arguably, I mean, if, we, if we're being honest and realistic, it is Baz Luhrmann's best film. I mean, he he's an interesting director when you really break down his 
career in terms of the stuff that he's done, whether it's Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, uh, oof, Australia, uh, The Great Gatsby. Uh, but this really is, I, I think, as, as problematic in terms of its storyline construction, so to speak, it is, I think, his best film. And that might be a hot take. I mean, I know there's a lot of Romeo and Juliet fans out there. I don't know how many Australia fans there are. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of people, you know, who will probably argue that, so to speak. Uh, but I, I do think it's his best overall film. But anyway, uh, I've got a great, great guest this week, someone who was really excited to talk about this movie. Uh, she's a fan. She's also an accomplished performer in her own right. Her name is Grace Aki. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what she has to say about this film. She told me she took copious notes. So I think it's going to be a good one. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Grace. And we're going to break it all down. We're going to be talking about all the songs, all the costuming, the look, the storylines, asking some lingering questions. For instance, well, I'm not going to tease it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we, we do have one lingering question that I'm really interested to hear what she has to say about it. So we're going to take a quick break. Like I said, when we come back, Grace is going to join us. But first, as always, here's the trailer. He entered a world where fantasy is real, where he could be anything he wanted, and where he would discover the most dangerous temptation of all. Come and get me, boys. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I believe you were expecting me. Yes. Silly, thinking you'd fall in love with someone like me. I can't fall in love with anyone and make men believe what they want to believe. Never knew. I believe in truth, freedom, and above all things, love. Like I've never seen the sky. You're going to be bad for business. I can tell. I am willing to provide the financial resources to make you a star. You don't have to wear that dress tonight. I require a contract that binds Satine to me exclusively. He could destroy everything. I don't care. We have each other. Make Christian believe you don't love him. He'll fight for me. Hurt him. Hurt him to save him. Whatever happens, no matter how bad things get, we love one another. Kill the boy. No! And we're back, and I am now joined by my fabulous guest co-host this week, Miss Grace Aki. How are you? Hi, guys. 
guys. How are you doing? I'm good. Doing well. I'm so glad you're joining us this week on what should be like a really colorful, like spectacular, spectacular podcast. Spectacular, spectacular. Yes. That's I'm a good way to know your stuff. Exactly. So, Grace, we are doing 2001's epic, like craziness, Moulin Rouge. And I just have to ask you right off the bat, like, when did you first see this movie? Tell me where, when, if you can remember back that far back, uh, and what your first impressions were of the film itself. I, to be frank, I have such awesome, vivid memories of this movie because, like, I saw this at, like, my stepsister's condo or something weird. And I was like, this is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen because I was, like, a theatery kid. You know, I was super, super young in, in 2001, but I was also into theater and dance, and I thought, holy crap, They've made a cool movie for my people. And I was a child. Mm. Can you imagine like being like an actual adult being like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> and then also um, the music video had just come out with Christina Aguilera in it. And she yes. was at the height of her genie in the bottle fame. Mm -hmm. So I was just absolutely obsessed with the petticoats and just that that's my like visceral memory of this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I was kind of right, right there with you. I mean, this came out June 1st of 2001. So it's really at the beginning of the summer, mm -hmm. you know, that song Lady Marmalade hit the airwaves and it was like the song of the year. Uh, I could not yeah. escape it if I wanted to. And, uh, but what a great, you know, plug in and promotion for the movie itself. And um, I remember going to see it um, with a bunch of high school friends that we had just come home from our sophomore year of college and we're, we're all theater majors, so we're going to, of course, run and go see this movie. <laughs> and we were just like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, we were freaking out. Um, and, you know, I had no idea what I was walking into. So when you start hearing the music oh. and these remixes and, the, you know, samplings of all these songs, I lost my mind. I mean, what was your reaction <laughs> to, like, a lot of these music sequences the first time you saw them? Um, I just thought they can't get any better. And then they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as the, as the movie, I was going to say the show, as the movie goes on and on and on and on. And so I think that like at the beginning, you're like, they're not really doing this, right? Like they're not, you know what I mean? They're not <laughs> mm -hmm. really doing, because it's a jukebox musical. And for me at the time, I was like, I don't know these songs. So I thought they were very like original to the piece. And then of course you learn that they're all medleys and they're done by these different artists. And I just thought that they're not going to keep outdoing themselves and they kept doing that it's crazy it's crazy yeah. Yeah, no, just one number after the other and i remember finally getting to that like roxanne tango and i was losing my mind of like <laughs> you know inventiveness i was just like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen yeah. um, in the years since obviously seeing it for the first time i, I i'll be honest i've probably only seen the entire movie a handful of times okay. um when you rewatched it for this podcast, did mm -hmm. you feel differently? Did new thoughts come up? What did you notice new that you didn't see before? Yeah, you know what? I feel like when I was younger and I watched all of these Baz Luhrmann films in a row, you know how they were just, they kind of all came out at the same time as far as like Strictly Ballroom and then like, you know, Romeo and Juliet and all this stuff. They were all just were this gorgeous conglomerate of like storytelling. And then I watched it, you know, when I was, you know, researching for this. And I sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Orpheus and Eurydice. <laughs> like, I didn't even, like, because it, it never occurred to me that it might be derivative of something else. I just thought this is just this weird thing that he came out with. Mm -hmm. So this time around, especially with the popularity of, like, Hades Town now, what a great time to kind of, like, reintroduce this stuff and kind of make maybe what, like, some kids are in high school having to read a little bit more palatable, you know? 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I remember being very surprised, you know, going back and watching it again. I mean, you know, since then I'd, I'd read a couple articles about like the plot holes and lack of, you know, <laughs> character arc and development. And okay, that's, you know, okay, I get it. But, um, you know, looking, going back and watching it again, um, I definitely had some different thoughts about it before. I mean, I, I'll be honest, like Baz Luhrmann's frenetic, like editing process, like threw me off much more now. Than mm-hmm. it used to, um, and I noticed that with uh, Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, uh, you know, even The Great Gatsby, where like watching those films as a younger person, I'm like, oh, I, I don't care. Like, you, who, who can, you know, right? More it chaos, the better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with this movie, especially like the first twenty minutes, I'm like trying to keep up. It's it is a little <laughs> too frenetic for me. The very um, beginning is so sped up, especially like I thought about that as well i was like oh all of a sudden he's just he's he's in the place he's in moulin rouge already you know (laughs) like 30 seconds had gone by and he's like and then there's this you know the the narcoleptic and then there's like the you know dwarf of the seven you're just like and then all of a sudden they're there so and then they're drinking absinthe and like i'm like what is happening (laughs) and i i thought to myself like does it add to like that like lifestyle of, of at the time, so to speak? But then I thought to myself, or is this just Baz being Baz? You know, <laughs> like I, I, think I couldn't tell. That's it. I think it's like a both thing. And, and you mm-hmm. know, every, all of those movies, I feel like of his have this like little sprinkle of like, where's the crazy at? And then it's always kind of like a drug or an alcohol thing. And I think yeah. that he just like gets it out of the way and then goes into the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is like a very polarizing film. I, I've, mm-hmm. I, you know, people I've talked to, you know, it's one of those like either you love it or you hate it, and you've yeah. very little room in between. Um, and I, I can see why. I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of people about <laughs> that. I can definitely get the get that mm-hmm. feeling when you when you talk about this film with other people. Um, what are what are typically the reactions that you've seen or heard? Oh, a hundred percent. What you're saying, it's almost like you remember when this is a hard take, but here we go. Do you remember when Starbucks came out with that unicorn um, frappuccino? Yes. And people were taking pictures with it and slurping it like it was God's gift to the world. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny and weird and also kind of crazy delicious, like a cotton candy crazy kind of way. And then the rest of the world was like, that's disgusting. (laughs) I feel like that's what Boz Lerman's films are. They're the unicorn frappuccino. You either have to have it <laughs> yep. or you're absolutely disgusted and you're just questioning why it was ever made. So there you go. That's, that's a good that's, point. That's a yeah. perfect analogy. Perfect analogy. Oh there my gosh. Go. Um, and yeah, because like when it melts, it's a disgusting mess. So there, there you yeah, go. Yeah, you're like, like, where? and then where did it go? <laughs> where did it go? I don't know. Flash in the pan, flash in the pan. Wow, interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but I, you, you've just ruined Baz Luhrmann movies for me. You know, I can't, can't watch <laughs> them the same ever again. Like, email me like really didn't appreciate. You know, uh, there you go. Because you know he's listening, so that's you know, that's, come on now. Well, that is the goal. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I also remember being very surprised by this cast. I mean, you, you know, top to bottom, you have a very yeah. strong cast. Um, mm-hmm. But when you, when you, on paper. If you tell me, okay, we're going to do a movie musical starring Ewan McGregor and uh, Nicole Kidman, <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, yeah. I've never heard either of them sing, but I, I walked out prom. saying, like, I hate to tell you, Chris, yeah. it's the prom. Um, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, and then half of the cast, you know, is Australian, which the American market did not know these people because mm-hmm. he's Australian. And so, like, they kind of made stars out of people that we had never seen or heard of. And then also have never heard of again, because they're mainly TV 
actors in Australia. So I don't know. It's kind of an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at this time of, uh, in her career, I was kind of down on Nicole Kidman. I mean, I looked at her as, okay. you know, Tom Cruise's wife, Days of Thunder, like not really like, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, Nicole Kidman. As but, that, yeah. Exactly. But this was like the beginning of her prime, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, right after this, we get the others and the hours and then hours, she's off. Yeah. You know, exactly. And she's going for it. I mean, you can tell she is, this is like where, you know, she was 30, I think she was 33 at the time when they made this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, that prime, like, okay, I'm now going to go for my Oscar type of period. Okay. And I got to give her credit. I mean, she broke a, her rib during the making of this movie. She, yeah. she damaged her knee. Um, she I had found to do out later from a wheelchair, from a wheelchair. Like that's crazy. <laughs> um, so she's going for it. So I, I, after I watched this movie, I, I my respect level for her just like rose 10 octaves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's weird because normally wouldn't you say that like a movie musical usually actually like lessens someone's career. Right. But in this case, it kind of elevated everybody, which also speaks to me to the work. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. it kind of like made everyone go, crap, these people are like crazy talented. Like, so I don't know. I think that it's awesome in that way. It also made me forget that Ewan McGregor was in the Star Wars films for a second and I'm being like, he... okay, he's good again. <laughs> Famously, they were using the same studio in Australia for Revenge of the Sith. I believe it's Revenge of the Sith is the second mm -hmm. one. And then they were going so over, because Boz is Boz, and they were going over in their allotment time of the studio, and it pushed production back for Star Wars, and they had to shoot the rest of um, Moulin Rouge in Madrid, Spain. Wow. Weird. Right? That is weird. That's crazy. Yeah. I did not know that. That's amazing. I mean, you know, what's even more amazing is that considering Boz is Boz, this movie was shot on a $50 million budget. Yes. Yes. And, yes, and yes. looking at it, you're like, how? Okay. There must have been savings like somewhere. But like, <laughs> you know, he's just typically known for going like way over budget with things. Of so course. Really surprised that they made it for only $50 million. And then they made $179 million. Which is okay. Let's, you know. <laughs> I mean, I have that, but I'm glad that they have that. Exactly. Money. It's it's uh, pocket change to us, but for good sure, for them. For sure. It's good. It was good money at the time, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Awesome. So what are your general thoughts do you have about this film that, before we move on to our categories? <clears throat> um, It's sad to say that I love this film so much. Like, I don't even care. I'm that girl. I'm sure they're all out there. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's one of those, I don't think it's even a guilty pleasure. I own that I love this movie. But I also, like, recognize that there are some, like, kind of moments. You know what I mean? But, right. you know, they're, they're all going to have that. Everything doesn't age perfectly, and that's okay. You know? Right. Like, I love Tennessee Williams, but Jesus Christ. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's all these things. Um, but I think that that movie just, in my heart, has, like, a wonderful place because of what it's done also for musicals in general. Definitely. I, I love the idea that somebody can watch that movie. Like, Grease, honestly, it's kind of the same thing where people go, I love that. And then I might go see theater now mm -hmm. where they might've not before. That's important to me. Definitely. I mean, you could definitely say that this, you know, kickstarted that, that second wave of movie musicals in Hollywood. And if we didn't get this, we might not have gotten Chicago. I mean, who knows? Oh, uh, and where would we be? Where would we be? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our categories. So folks, we know that sometimes when we're watching these movie musicals. Some moments are definitely, you know, pull at the heartstrings. Those lumps in our throats get a little bit bigger. I call these <laughs> dusty room moments. And oh my gosh, this movie is like an allergy attack for some things. Um, <laughs> so Grace, I want to start with you. Yeah. What dusty room moments that did you have while you watched this film? Okay, so to me, the movie does not kick in emotionally, spiritually, whatever, 
until Ewan McGregor exclaims, my gift is my song. Mm. When he turns, like the camera just goes straight to his face and he just belts that out. You're like, we're about, it's about to happen. Like this is, this is it. And like, I'm getting chills like thinking about it, which is embarrassing. But like, I don't know if you guys at home are like listening and going, ah, I know that part. Cause when you go to the CD and it just hits that, you're like, okay, we're ready. I'm strapped in. And that's when I get to get like into it. That's yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's, and it's, it's such a, a spontaneous moment where, you know, she's like on the ground rolling around trying to like play oh up the, the sultriness of her character yeah. and he's trying to find the words, so to speak. And he blurts out. I love, especially love how they, you know, after he does it, like you, they do this wide shot with all the lights turning on in Paris and mm-hmm. um, people kind of just being like, Whoa, what was that? Um, yeah, great moment. Obviously, I love that, that song before this movie. <laughs> right. So I remember watching it for the first time, being like, oh my God, he's going to sing your song. This is going to be great. And it turned out to be everything I was going to hope for. Um, yeah. The the them launching themselves onto the rooftops and doing that waltz, that was, of course, like pure <sighs> movie magical cheese, but I love it. Can't yes. get enough. Um, for me, another chill-inducing, I don't want to call it a dusty room moment, but definitely chill-inducing again is, is that Roxanne Tango. I mean... It's incredible. What a powerful. First of all, I love tango as a dance regardless. Like just mm-hmm. give me give me all the tango you want, but hearing like Roxanne that way mixed in with what Christian is singing at the same time, it is a chill inducing moment. And I, I think anybody who doesn't have chills is a robot. In, in that, in <laughs> okay. That. Well, I'm about to robot you because no, <laughs> that's one of my weird every time it comes on. And actually I've talked to, <laughs> and I'm not comparing like men to women at all. However, whenever I've talked about this movie, almost every dude, no matter like sexuality preference, nada, whatever it is, guys love Tango Roxanne. And women <laughs> always say, that's the one part I don't like. Wow, so I interesting. I don't know what that is, but like for some reason, every time I go, ugh, shut up. And I don't know if it's like I can hear the nodes forming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know yep. what it is, but something about it just goes, ah, man, I hate this part. And maybe it's because we're upset because mm-hmm. of the sateen situation that's going on. But right. <laughs> every time guys are like, that's it. And I'm like, women are like, nah. So... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a good... I was I was wondering. I was like, he's gonna say this maybe, and then my theory. There you go. You should have made a bet with somebody. Like you were just, you know, <laughs> you were one... yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, though, what I found, I the moment that I did not get emotional at was Satine's death. I don't know what it is. Like, okay, look, come what may, into her dying, I'm just like, well, okay, it's sad, but like, I'm not yeah. like getting emotional about it. How about you? Like, with the ending there. I, um, so it's interesting, like, I've also talked to other people about the ending, too, because I don't get emotional from her. I actually get emotional from his reaction to her dying. Because oh. you realize, kind of, that um, he didn't know that she was sick. And I don't know yeah. if that's everyone, but, like, when you see her, you know, and then she kind of lets out that one last gasp, and he wails in, like, a guttural type of real, like, Linklater wishes they could get there kind of wail. And he just goes there. That's what actually brings me to tears is that it's it's over for him. And then you realize that the ending and the beginning are all this like intertwined big mm-hmm. picture moment. That's what gets me really emotional. In Interesting. That's a, good, yeah. that's a good question. I mean, I, this is going to go off on a, on a tangent, but like <laughs> very rarely do you, he, you get to see like, I guess you could say like um, authentic grief on camera in a mm-hmm. way. And 
you know, I, there was another moment. I don't know if you're the, a fan of the show Sherlock, but um, there's a moment where this character dies and, and John Watson has this like guttural moan almost. Oh. And it's not, it's not a cry. It's not a, it's a moan. And it's like an angry, like, how dare you die on me? Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen anybody react on camera like that, but yet you feel it. You can it, it just, it's something very, you know, palpable to you. So that's a good point by you is that it's just, you feel that death. You yeah. Know? When you finally see something, it's like, you remembered that, right? Like that's what you go back to. It's like, that's kind of how I feel about that little section. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on folks, mm-hmm. we know that sometimes with these movies, especially ones that are made decades ago, sometimes not everything ages well. Sometimes not everything was, you know, appropriate in the first place so what i call uh these moments are yeesh moments where you just watch <laughs> this movie and you're just like oh okay uh let's let's maybe not include that in the remake or something like that so um uh, grace i'm gonna start with you did you have any yeesh yeah. moments while watching moulin rouge well being a feminist in 2019 yes um, calling women diamond dogs was a weird weird <laughs> scenario i was i was just you know in, enjoying the um the moulin rouge and the big moment the spectacular ness of uh i'm like he's just awesome i just like i'm just like you're crazy anyways and he's like here are my diamond dogs and he's pointing to all these women and i'm like oh this is gonna be a (laughs) this is not gonna be cute in a couple of years (laughs) and that's one moment that i'm like and then there's a song you know, Diamond Dogs is the track on the on the album for that mm-hmm. moment. And I'm just like, that is just not going to be good. I don't know if it's included in the musical on Broadway. I truly hope that they've changed that aspect. Um, should I keep going with these? Please. Uh, yeah, just rattle them off. Go ahead. Not, there's not even a time because you also have to recognize that, like, you know, that it is what it is, you know, 1899. Um, mm-hmm. But I read this interview with Boz Lerman. Um, that he said he got the inspiration for the film while he was in India watching a Bollywood film and how he was so interested in how it went from zany to melodrama and it didn't take itself too seriously. And that's truly where he was like, I could do that. I could Mm -hmm. do that. And me reading that article after watching the movie, though, I was like, oh, that makes sense because this Hindi aspect of the film is kind of off-putting for all these white people to be like, you know, using their mm-hmm. arms in a certain way and then like the jewels and then the guy who's painted in all blue. And I was just like, this is an issue. Um, but that uh, reading that afterwards, I was like, OK, he was trying to pay homage to a culture. And like, right. that's a beautiful aspect of it. Maybe have more brown people. I don't know. But, you know, just like maybe um, think about it. But those were those are the ones that actually just stuck out to me. What did you yeah. think? I mean, really uh, right there with you. I mean, it's it's one of those things where when I watch a movie like this, that is depicting another period of time with its treatment of women. I kind of have to separate myself saying, mm-hmm. okay, they're trying to portray what it was like in the 1800s for women and, and right. in these roles. So I'm like, okay, they, I guess they nailed that. Cause I'm really you know, like, thank God, we don't, you know, really uncomfortable watching some of that. But for me, one of the big, like, sore subjects, I guess you could say I have with this movie is the casting of John Leguizamo as uh, Toulouse. Toulouse. Uh, I can never pronounce his name correctly. Toulouse-Lautrec. Yes. Yes. Because he was an actual human being. Like he was a real person. Yes. And he was a little person. And um, they went to great lengths. I read this behind the scenes where like 
they they built like this apparatus for Jalo Gazamo and like he actually had to go through like physical therapy after this movie. Right, um, yeah. He never got I, his spine back in, in place correctly. Crazy. Bananas, yeah. And I thought to myself, well, that that could have all been, you know, solved by just casting a little person. I, yeah, we. <laughs> I literally, you know, and this is not to like throw a name down. Please, 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 please know that. But I was sitting with my husband who just worked with Peter Dinklage and we were watching it and I was like, Dang, that could have been Pete. Because <laughs> like, like, you're you're completely right. There's so many like great. I know there's great um, actors that could have done that, though we don't know or never mm-hmm. would have known. And I think that Jaglo Wazamo is amazing. Great, but you're 100 percent right. It could have gone to somebody that could have done it. I mean, and, and a lot of people want to say, okay, maybe is that a 2019 thing? I'm like, no, that's a no, that's a life thing. It's a life thing. I mean, and not for yeah. nothing, they also cast a little person in the movie already. There's a, a, a the woman, woman. Yes. Who's in that, you know, singing um, that Gloria Stefan song. So like, it's like, you know, it's, they're there. And, um, right. I, and, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but that's one thing that's really angering me about the Broadway musical <laughs> is that they once again oh. have not cast a little person in that role. They're casting a gentleman who's a phenomenal actor. Don't get me wrong. He's an incredible performer, but he's five, seven. And it's it's doesn't it doesn't come off well. It, it really doesn't. So, spoiler <sighs> alert, folks. <laughs> it's well, it's a missed opportunity, I think, on the casting. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. just like I, I'm of that nature now, to where I'm like, just capitalize it, mm-hmm. pimp it out. I don't care. You know what I mean? But I don't mind you using it as long as you're using it for good. And and yeah, they could have done that. So you're definitely definitely. Bummer. All right, folks. Well, we know that sometimes these movies do not uh, answer all of our questions. Sometimes mysteries are left unsolved. So I call these lingering questions. So, Grace, I'm going to start with you. Do you have any lingering questions about Moulin Rouge? <laughs> I I don't even have lingering questions about the movie itself, like like story-wise. Mm-hmm. I actually have lingering questions as to what if it had been blank. Should I oh. mention them? In terms of casting, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's save that for the next category. Yeah, exactly. So that's the so next I'll, one. I'll I'll bank mine. You go. Okay. <laughs> so here's my. I've got two lingering questions, and the first is somewhat simple. I don't understand why Nini legs in the air, um, rats out Christian and Satine to the Duke, <laughs> under the understanding that that this would destroy everything, and then close the Moulin Rouge, and she would lose her job. That's her paycheck. I never thought about it. Like <laughs> that does suck. I mean, we we definitely get the vibe that her she doesn't like Satine throughout this entire movie. Like that first time when Satine collapses, she's like, "Oh, guess she won't be much use to the Duke." Well, I'm like, that's really messed up. But it's a weird take, um, all right. <laughs> it's a weird take back backstage. Um, but I just I never understood like they they all kind of know why this is happening, who the Duke is, his importance to the, this overall operation. Why would Nini like sabotage that? Yeah, you know what? That's honestly because there's nothing in the story that indicates that like there's a you know hidden motive or she was secretly in love with the duke or anything. Mm-hmm. But like echoing in my brain forever is penniless sita playa. You know what I mean? Like I think that everyone knows that line, which I'm like, mm-hmm. good for you, Caroline, making it iconic. But you're right; it's kind of like a weird. Why did you? Why did you have to do that? Because right. there's no need. Yeah. I I saw her um after a performance of Anastasia when it was in Hartford. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to ask her that question. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Isn't that like you're like, okay, so this thing 
you know, right? Like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a total like Mark Hamill Star Wars like nerd asking him a question about like absolutely the deep depth. Like Caroline, why did Nini do this? I mean, like she's gonna know, but but see, like this is the Broadway con we need to have. Like this is the panel type of discussion that needs to happen with like right. these people that have done that. So I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll just okay. You know, I'll I'll <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it done. Um. Cool. All right. So the second question I have, and this is a little bit of a complex thing to think about is Christian the actual villain of this movie and here's what I'm here's my thinking yes Satine's <laughs> role in this is that you know she is a courtesan if you will and um the deal is that she's going to meet the duke but her her lifelong goal is to be taken seriously as an actress, as an actress. Re- exactly so she knows okay if I just have to like, flirt or do whatever with this guy but at least we'll get what we need Mm-hmm. Christian comes along and ruins all of that, <laughs> all of that because dreams. he's in love and he like convinces yeah. her that we should sneak around. And, and then that whole thing happens, you know, with the, you know, the, during the Roxanne tango to, at the end, where he tries to throw money at her and she's like, no, Christian, you don't get it. Like I watched, yeah. rewatched this movie and I'm like, oh my God, oh. is he actually the villain in this movie? Like had he not even talked to Satine, would she have been okay? Would she, yeah, would she have gone on? I mean, but she was sick. So you have to remember, like, that was the end of her life. So, like, having a love affair was, like, fabulous. But But then I I would think to myself, like, would, would, does the stress of Christian in her life then, like, make her, her TV or consumption that more aggressive? I mean, who knows? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Ah, ruining it. (laughs) but that's a it's a really valid question because i think that like we romanticize all of all of it and then Mm -hmm. we don't ever go it's like you know when you whenever you go back i don't know if you do but you watch 500 days of summer and you're like oh he just didn't listen to her she never wanted to be in a relationship so it's kind of it's always you know you can always go back and watch it and kind of have a different take on it which is Mm-hmm. What artists do exactly? I mean, the, the one of the big criticisms I always read about this movie was that no one in this movie makes a rational decision. And <laughs> <laughs> like, does like, Boss Lerman make rational decisions? That's the other question. I mean, you know, there you go. Um, it, but it's like, yeah, if, if Satine knowing what's on the line, why is she sneaking around? Like, it's like all <laughs> these things. Um, like, why do you do, why do you do this uh, in this movie? But it's it's a really Again, for anybody who's watching this movie, and I hope that you you did before you listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. think about that. Like, think, is Christian actually, like, the jerk in this movie? Who knows? I mean, wow, something to ponder, I guess. There you go. Weird, weird, weird. Yeah. All right. Well, you brought it up first. Let's talk about casting what ifs. Folks, we know that with these casts that we get, we don't always get the final first choices, first audition considered, um, you know, cast lists, so to speak. So I always like to kind of bring up and do some research into who was actually considered for these roles, who auditioned and perhaps didn't get it. Um, and also ask the question, would this movie have been better with those original people intended? So Grace, I'm going to start with you because I know you, you found a couple of these uh, in your research. Yeah. So I thought this was pretty wild that, okay. So actually my first thought, even before I read this was like, why wasn't it Leo DiCaprio? This was mm. the prime of his, like, money-making, like, box office. Like, he absolutely – and first of all, still is. But he was that guy, right? And then for Baz Luhrmann especially. So Baz and him actually did meet to talk about this film. He sang with him at a piano. And he said, I just want you to sing through Lean on Me. Because he knew he wanted it to be a musical. And Leo DiCaprio is quoted as saying – and you're going to laugh um, – saying, when I got to the high note – 
everyone sing Lean on Me on your own time. Is there a high note? I don't think so. But <laughs> he said, when I got to the high note, it was embarrassing. And <laughs> Boz looked at me and said, let's just not. <laughs> like, to him, singing in general. And it crushed him. But he was like, I get it, though. So can you imagine, though, if he was, like, actually incredible? And first of all, I think we have that now, which is Taryn Edgerton, personally. Mm, there you go. But, like... <laughs> just the idea of him like also being terrible at something is kind of hilarious but then also the fact that they did see Heath Ledger because he was also coming up at the time he was Australian it made sense however he was way too young to play opposite of Nicole who had already been cast so those were the two that I had seen um, that were definitely like in the running and considered and would have honestly been great casting choices just for different needs so yeah Definitely. Well, that's yeah. a great. I mean, I, I think what's interesting is, you know, it would have been great for Leo because you know, obviously he's coming off of Titanic where, you know, he yeah. dies at the end and then he can be in a movie where his love interest dies at the end. So it's like right. flipping there, so to speak. But um, yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think that would have been a really interesting casting choice, but you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, here's some two that I found, which I thought okay. was pretty interesting. So another actor that was heavily considered for this role uh, was Hugh Jackman at the time, 2001. So this is just after X-Men. This is like just after, you know, Oklahoma. But let me ask you, mm -hmm. would this movie have been better with Hugh Jackman in this role? Ow! <laughs> not, not high on Hugh Jackman? No, 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 I am. I just think there's only so much. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing with James Corden. It doesn't change the fact that I enjoy him. I just don't need him in every single movie musical or just like theatrical instance. I don't need them in every single one. I can appreciate their art and I can also go like settle down, like mm -hmm. <laughs> chill, chill out. Um, no, I just think that this would have, that would have been, and maybe that's me personally that I just don't find him like romanticized. I don't find him in that kind of like, Ooh, like I gotta see him like with his Wolverine. Like, right. nah, nah, you know, right. I don't need, I don't need his song. I need an Ewan type of, of dude in that, in that role. So, gotcha. That's gotcha. Good points. Good points. The other one I had, which is pretty interesting, a lot of fun story behind this one, um, was another actress, I guess you could call her that was for Satine was Courtney Love. Yeah, that's... So would this movie have been better with Courtney Love as Satine? To be frank, it's 2001. She And also, like, we view Satine because of Nicole in this, like, beautiful, immaculate, like, situation. Mm -hmm. And But but I think courtesan-wise, like, period appropriateness, rock star vibe for, like, the vocals, like, Courtney Love might have been, like, a crazy good choice. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I understood that they acquired the rights for um smells like teen spirit from her as well mm -hmm. uh but do you, do you know the story about like ozzy osbourne in this scenario was it no. Ozzy? so she had no no no. i'm sorry it's marilyn manson oh, okay mm -hmm. um so she had a long-standing feud with him and in her contract for um using the the movie rights etc for the song she got to check off whoever sang and they had uh, approached him to do that song for the film Five days before the film is released in theaters, five days, she evokes her right in her contract and they had to find an unknown band to re-record the song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So 
it was supposed to be him. And they, uh, she was like, you know what? I heard it was him and don't like that. So, don't make it happen. Yeah. It's interesting. In an interview, uh, Courtney Love said that not getting this movie as an actress was one of her biggest career disappointments. Um, oh. And in an interview, Baz Luhrmann said, when asked why he didn't cast Courtney Love, he said, well, Courtney Love is fire. Um, Nicole Kidman was ice and we wanted something more diamond like, I guess you could say. Um, and then in response to that, because Courtney of course, <laughs> is not going to like that, uh, she actually called Nicole Kidman a puddle and then <laughs> dedicated this song called, uh, it's like Miss Miss World or something like that on her next whole album, which is all about like a beauty queen that's like, you know, too into herself and things like that. So she was mad about not getting this role. Um, so yeah, Courtney Love, that's, this is like a sticking point in her career. So sorry. Sorry, Courtney. That's um, so sad. There well, you go. just know that there's a couple of people out there that would have loved to have seen that version. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Moving on, folks, we know that with these movie musicals, we need to have four key elements firing on all cylinders for it to truly be a spectacular uh, movie musical. And that, of course, is the singing, the dancing, acting, and design. And what we like to do on this podcast is go through each one, rate it top, you know, one to ten, ten being the best, one being the worst, and giving some reasons why. So, Grace, I'm going to start with you. For the singing in Moulin Rouge, how did you rate it one through ten and, and why? So I did look into the fact that it was, um, it, it was all, it was all, they were singing for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't my fair lady West side story ages. We had the people singing for themselves. Fabulous. Uh, so I gave it a seven because I feel as though Nicole is more tuned like electronically than mm -hmm. Ewan. I think that Ewan is firing at a nine ten level and he's like giving it his all you can tell because he doesn't really riff. And I'm like, you're really singing. Like you learned how to sing with more, you know, than this. So, um, I gave it a seven. It's a good, that's a, I, I actually gave it a seven as well, just because <laughs> I've tried rewatching this and, and actually in previous years too, I've tried to replicate how he sings in this movie, given how his mouth is moving in the movie. And it doesn't line up for me. Like it's mm -hmm. a, he has a very like I get a headache when I start trying to sing like Ewan McGregor in this movie. And um, <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Um, and I, I get I don't have a tape. I never got to see him in Guys and Dolls to actually see him sing live. But um, yeah, it's a very interesting way of doing it. But yeah, I think to your point, yeah, the voices because it's actually them. Some of them are better than others. I mean, I found out that Jim Broadbent for that Like a Virgin number was actually dubbed by an opera singer who had actually. <laughs> perfected like Jim Broadbent's voice. And I'm like, why not just use Jim Broadbent? Just I mean, use him. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, you, the, the voices, I don't think, you know, the ones that are meant to sound pretty are pretty. Um, you get a little bit of Kylie Minogue in this thing. So great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I gave it a seven as well. Um, how about the dancing, Grace? How did you feel about the dancing in this movie? Oh, I'm a sucker for dancing. Like I, I love great choreography. I thought I thought it was a ten because the numbers that did have choreography, it was well done choreography. I love mm -hmm. like the the stage pictures they were giving. I loved, you know, just like the use of like true can can and everything. It was just that was cool to me. I, I give it a ten. Yeah, I was right there with you. I mean, I would have liked to of course seen the the pure choreography at the beginning, uh, instead of like the quick camera shifts and like we're going to take this camera and spin it 360 and try to look at the choreography that way mm -hmm. um things like that but you know i think through the rest of the film you know you definitely get some strong choreography on that one so yeah i'm right there with you i gave it a 10 as well um how about the acting in this movie i think because i also have to like recognize that it's the direction 
and the actor for this mm-hmm. type of film, right? It's so stylized. It's so stylized that I think that they gave us a 10. They gave us the right amount of like true critical, like melodrama, like the, the realness of it. And they also mm-hmm. gave us the weird, the fact that Nicole Kidman can die like that of TB and then also like roll herself on a carpet. <laughs> like It's bananas, you know? So I think that everyone's level is is operating in a very comedic way and also in a in dramatic way. So I, yeah. I gave it a 10, but I feel like I'm going to get chastised for it. <laughs> I did not go as high as a 10. I, I actually, I gave it a seven. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, I, I have this issue and I had the ish, same thing with Romeo and Juliet where you've got characters acting weird just to be weird. And I hate that. And yeah, especially at the beginning when you've got that playwright who's like a diva and like, you know, you it just very, I don't know. I just, some of the, some characters in Baz Luhrmann's films drive me nuts. Cause they're just like, ha ha, blah, blah, blah. And then the, for no reason. And, um, I have the Mercutio with- situation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. That, or the entire bite my thumb, sir scene where you've got people like, screaming and, and yelling it just the pace and it's just it's all over the place and i think to your point it's more of a direction thing than an acting thing but yeah but it still I, doesn't change the fact that you're like that's that's too much <laughs> like, exactly this is at a cartoon level dude <laughs> yeah exactly and i i love it's weird i love richard roxborough who plays the the duke in this um this is like around that period of time where he just was cast as a villain and everything. Um, mm. He just kept showing up and like he was in Van Helsing as like the, the villain in that as well. I mean, he's just, he was all over the place. Um, and there are times where, I don't know. I, I think he just, he just plays that like sniding, you know, snideful character. Like I feel like he should be twirling his mustache the with some of his lines, some of his lines of dialogue. It's crazy. Question. Do you know the cartoon Disney film, uh, Robin Hood? Of course. The Foxes. Okay, so picture it, if you will. Picture the Duke, okay? Uh-huh. Voice, the voice is uh, the king. Uh, the the thumb-sucking Lion oh, King. Oh, Prince John, yeah. Prince John. Um, That is the voice he's using. I swear to you, like, oh, Robin Hood. Like, literally, like, and, and I was watching it last night, and I went, oh, my God, I think this is what he channeled. I can't prove it. I don't think that's what he was, like, going for. But mm-hmm. villain-wise, it's such like a weird, weird, weird take that that's what I kept remembering. <laughs> so I truly hope that that was his inspiration. If not, then I just wasted a lot of time. <laughs> that's a good take, though. And I, yeah. interestingly, I found out that Jim Broadband based his performance off of Baz Luhrmann. Like he actually like. So when you look at Hen- Harry Ziegler, that he, he's doing Baz Luhrmann, and I'm like, good lord, that's like <laughs> that's well, that's a choice. <laughs> that's a choice, and if that's what actually Baz Luhrmann's like. Oh golly! Like oh my gosh! Um, oh, okay. Exactly, exactly. Um, how about the design in this movie? How'd you feel about it, dude? I feel like I'm giving out tens, but it's a ten. <laughs> it won an Academy Award. It's his wife. It's incredible. It's so well curated. It's like I even like embarrassingly enough tried to make the sateen diamonds corset outfit for a Halloween. Really? And I found myself like gluing into the night these little rhinestones i'm like this is how i you know i'm gonna live now and it was like it just that's nowhere near what this is i'm just trying to say that i cannot imagine the level of creativity and thought and process that went into this design to not only like pay homage to like that time period in paris truly Mm -hmm. paris and then also being like we want to show Hindi, like we want to, we want to show this like Bollywood element and we want to put this in a giant elephant. And 
I just, I recognize that it's ridiculous. I also appreciate that it's ridiculous. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, as per usual with all of his films, the design is going to be just off the charts. Insane. And I mean, it is as silly as it sounds like, did you ever see Australia? Uh, I watched the beginning. Um, (laughs) So so I have seen the movie poster. There you go. There you go. Um, That's like, that's like Baz Luhrmann as at his most controlled, so to speak. And Mm. um, it's just, you cannot believe that it's the same filmmaker sometimes, but um, yeah, no, in terms of design, yeah, you're never going to be disappointed with the design of a Baz Luhrmann uh, production. Did you get to see, by the way, did you get to see his, his Broadway Lab OM when that came out? No, no, but I, yeah, like I was even going to mention that too. I was like, there's so many rent, like rent theme Laboem moments, like where they mentioned Bohemia. And then I looked up that he did that and I was like, dang, I missed out. <laughs> yeah, it was um, a train work. Train wreck is not the right word for it. It's just trying to do Laboem eight, eight performances a week is just, you can't do it. He actually had three rotating casts. Um, and it still just was like, it was just like too a high school. Get out of my face. Boz. <laughs> you can't do that. Cast ABC. No, um, I did attend his Barney's Christmas window display three years ago and it was gorgeous. So cool. there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, folks, we actually, you know, because these are movie musicals, uh, we have this wonderful next section called numbers that we needed numbers that we could do uh, do without and numbers that you're going to fast forward to if you only have about five to 10 minutes to watch this movie. So seeing how this movie was not based on an original state, production that had a lot of songs that were cut the numbers that we needed is kind of not applicable so we'll just toss that one out however numbers that we could do without grace i'm gonna start with you any song that you would cut or change from this movie i'm so curious well first of all we did talk about tango roxanne Mm -hmm. um i think that as far as david bowie's music nature boy is like the worst (laughs) like lazarus exists and it's incredible like come on guys um yeah so nature boy to me is a waste i think that as far as i think that like a virgin is probably the weakest number in the in the show movie Mm -hmm. if you if you will um because whenever you give a song to like secondary characters it needs to be super fun it needs to be funny you need to be reminded why they're in the whole thing in the first place i feel like you have you have to do that yeah. You know, and this one just was like, wait, did they forget to cut this? Like, did they, did they like mistake like in the, in the cutting room? So that one to me is just kind of like, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like a version I felt was a stretch to fill in terms of the context <laughs> Mm-hmm. of that of that moment i'm like really like a virgin like now in this moment okay um but for me like just from a, a pure composition standpoint mm-hmm. that that someday i'll fly away song that she sings uh, is a dreadful song it's dreadful melodically lyrically i can't stand it and it's it's clear that like other people can't stand it in the movie because they just they hurry it along into so they can get to that that elephant medley duet. But <laughs> getting, that's true. We're, we're doing this over Skype, so I can see your reaction to me putting. <laughs> I was gonna say you guys cannot see my face. I'm like full jaw to the ground. <laughs> so clearly, I think I, I'm guessing you disagree. But tell me why. I just you know what it is. I think I have a soft spot, and actually, I did take note of this. Normally, in a movie musical or musical in general, would you not say that like the ballads are usually the crappy songs and then the fast paced fun numbers are the ones that everyone wants to sing along to. I think this movie is the total opposite in my eyes Mm -hmm. because all of the fast paced fun songs are a little too weird for me. I'm like fat boy slim. You're cool, but like settle down, you know, (laughs) like I can't take a seat. 
Um, but I think that like the ballads in this movie serve a beautiful purpose and I love hearing them. And it's like the romantic in me. It's like, I remember being a young girl watching this being like, I'm going to fly away. I don't even know. Like Nelly Furtado was telling me, she was telling me, but like (laughs) this, this movie is the opposite of what normally happens in musicals in my eyes. So that song I think is very lovely. And it's like this great ballad for her to have, but it could have, you're right. It could have been better it could have been a different song <laughs> because to, to think about it like they had the entire musical canon it's not like they wrote this for you know most of the songs are someone else's songs like pick a different right. song you can afford it so yeah i mean it's a 50 million dollar budget movie they probably spent 25 of that on music alone so it's sure. like just you know keep going with it keep going but uh interesting enough how about if you've only got five ten minutes to watch this movie what are you going to go straight to you're going to watch your song four times on repeat and call it a day. (laughs) That's what you're going to (laughs) do. I think that, I think that you listen to your song. I think that the elephant love medley is super cool. And then I think you can watch diamonds are girls. You have to watch it listening, Mm -hmm. eh, whatever watching it. You're like, this is it, you know? So that, that for me is what I would pick. What about you? Um, it, it was a toss up between your song and then the elephant uh, medley. It's, it's so tough. It's so, cause like, mm-hmm. I like all of those songs. And actually like when I first heard that song, that medley, I had no idea about the kiss song in there. Like there were songs I had never heard before. So I was like, Oh my God, I gotta go back and listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Paul McCartney, you know, people singing love yeah. songs. Never heard that song before that's this movie. So um, mm. it was good to kind of like get introduced to that stuff. So, um, and plus like, it's weird that like I can sing that with my friends and like, that's like, if, if we bring up Moulin Rouge, we all can do that elephant medley, you know, verbatim without even like getting into the other songs. So it's, it's a fun time. Yeah. You can literally do the one word, one word, one word. And you're like, you're referencing a million songs. Mm-hmm. That's what's so crazy. And I always say that like in my, in my youth, uh, I would say that Cameron Crowe and Boz Lerman introduced me to Elton John. Elton John is his own thing, but mm-hmm. he, they both put them in that time period because Almost Famous came out in 2000. This came out in 2001, and it reignited this like youth culture of like Elton John and like feeling that. So I kind of have to give that kudos to. Man, you just brought up Almost Famous, and we're actually going to be doing this on a podcast in a couple of weeks. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that you're just a tease there on that end. Um, so... Moving into our next section, folks, we like to give out some pretty prestigious awards on this podcast. They're very prestigious. And the first one is called the Julie Award, which is given to who we feel is the best singer in this movie. We also, on the flip side, have the Russell Crowe Award, which is given to who we feel is the worst or least great singer in this movie, so to speak. Wait, why? I know. You you have to. Um, And then finally, I mean, these people are paid, so they're they're okay. Um, The final one is called the Bumlet Award. And for those of you who don't know who Bumlet is, um, do yourselves a favor, go watch Newsies. (laughs) Who is spinning on the fan at the end of the King of New York number. And he lands with this perfect pirouette, lands piece of paper. (laughs) And then you can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the movie because of that move. Uh, And he was actually played by a guy named Dominic Lucero who has sadly passed away. But I wanted to name this, this award after that character because he steals Newsies. And then when I go back and watch it again, I'm always looking for, for Bumlet. So, um, this goes to basically the extra background member, you know, secondary character that just kind of steals the movie for us. So, Grace, nice. I'm going to start with you. Who gets your Julie Award for Moulin Rouge? My Julie Award, of course, has to go to Ewan McGregor because he didn't have to do it, but he did it. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he didn't have to give that to us, but he did. And mm-hmm. he went hard. He did not wrestle crow us. He was right. like, I care. I want to sing my heart out. I want to. And, and he's never really done it since in that kind of way, which a bummer for us. But I think that he's he's given a great performance here. He he gives it his all. It's very authentic. Also, I only heard his accent slip one time, so kudos to you, Ewan. Um, I actually, funny enough, like, tiny anecdote, I used to work in this, like, retail shop in Soho, and he came in one day, and I, like, froze. I've never, I get starstruck sometimes, but this time I was, like, shaking, because I was like, my gift is, like, in my head. And he was so polite. He was so, so polite. And I just, I was, like, folding his shirts, and I was just like, I can't, I can't. And I had to, like, hand my stuff off to someone else, because it was just, like, too much for me. So I just have a soft spot in my heart for him doing this and Big Fish. He just kills it singing-wise in this film. There you go. Love it. Um, I gave it to Nicole Kidman on this one. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pay for that later on, I know. Um, What's going on? Let's be clear. I do not want to see her in the prom. I don't want to see any of these people in the prom. That's that's. Let's make that official. Are we doing um, a prom episode as well later on? Well, I guess we're going to have to, right? I mean, eventually yeah. this is going to have to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, again – this just like you with with you and how this kind of affected your your view of him as a per, as an actor and as a you know person same same thing for me with with Nicole Kidman I, I honestly did not have a lot of I don't want to say respect is a strong word I didn't give her a lot of credit as a you know like man she's someone I could really get behind and who goes for it who doesn't mail it in and things like that and she is giving it and the fact that she broke her rib and did serious damage to her knee like you're gonna get my kudos and as, as electronically enhanced as her voice is in this movie uh and it is especially yeah. during that fly away number which is horrid yeah. um you know she, yeah. she is she is still giving it she's she's bringing it so i i got she's it. doing it yeah there you go all for right sure. grace on the flip side <laughs> who's gonna get your russell crow for this okay so this is weird because i was actually thinking about the way ewan sings in the film kind of like you were earlier mm-hmm. and he his placement is actually very similar to russell crowe's in this film, it's that, uh, like, it's a very froggy, open, mm-hmm. uh, confusing <laughs> choice. Um, so I can't give it to you because I told you he was great. So I'm just going to say it's the Dukes because of that tiny, tiny line when he starts to kind of sing. It's kind of funny, this feeling inside, again, just like the Robin Hood villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to give it to him just because it was creepy. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. I mean, he does that. He does it there. He also does it during, like, a virgin as well. And it's... Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a choice. At it's least choice. he was in character, though. And yes. he didn't, like, go, oh, I'm going to, like, kill it in this number. Right, right. I mean, you could say that the Argentinian during, like, Roxanne, that's not a great, you know, I mean, try doing that eight times a week. But I don't know. It's still, I, I still think it fit atmospherically with that song and the way they did it. Like, I was okay with it. But, yeah, you're right. I think the Duke definitely is going to get mine. But, again, He's he's trying to do that voice. It's not like he's it's not Russell Crowe who thinks he's sounding great and is actually, you know, terrible. So yeah, like in a band, exactly. By choice. Yeah. Another that's another podcast for another time, I guess. But um, final question for you, Bumlet Award. Who is going to get your Bumlet Award for Moulin Rouge? So because you called it the Bumlet Award, I'm going to call mine a Buttons Award because my husband was Buttons on Broadway and Newsies, and I'm going to consider him the outstanding ensemble. Member. Yes. Um, so I have to say Caroline O'Connor is so memorable. I mean, you, regardless of what you think of how weird her line is, I think that she's unforgettable with the bangs, with the, the eyeliner, with 
her coming out in the beginning, dancing, I just think that you don't forget. You don't even know, you don't remember her name, you don't remember, but you're like that girl. I know, like, I hate her. And mm-hmm. I think that's the mark of like an amazing, you know, uh, moment. Absolutely. I mean, the only other person I had, like, even in, in a nomination for the Buttons Award, which honor, honorary, you know, award for this podcast, absolutely, um, <laughs> was the African-American gentleman. Oh, gosh, I'm, can't, I'm forgetting his character's name. Oh. But he's the one that saves her, you know, yes. from the Duke, which, by the way, another lingering question. How is he there? I don't know. Like, perfectly timed. Why, why was he watching? Why was he watching? Okay. And okay. Another podcast for another time. I don't know. But, um yeah, he was my, my runner up, so to speak, because he's just he's just awesome throughout the entire movie. But yeah, Carolyn O'Connor is is just incredible. I love the fact that her character's full like full name is Nene Legs in the Air. I mean <laughs> that just I mean, and we get a very brief like shot of her doing that split while she's seated, which is just looks just so cool. Awesome. Yeah. I should have, I should have asked her to do that for me when I saw her, but yeah, yeah that's well, that's what the perfect time to ask anyone. Um, to exactly. That, so there you go. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Carolina Connor, you're going to get our Buttons Award uh, for this. By the way, I t- had no idea that your husband was Buttons on Broadway. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. cool. He took over for Jess Leprado. He's super cool. And, I, yeah, Newsies is awesome. So, I appreciate that award. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Now, I know this is the section that a lot of our listeners were hoping that we were going to get to and talk about. So, the usual question I ask here is, should this get a remake? And... I guess you can say, thankfully, that question has been answered because we're getting one whether we kind of wanted it or not. And we're getting, of course, the Broadway version of Moulin Rouge. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna let something slip. I have seen the Boston out-of-town tryouts. I have not seen the what is now in previews. Um, uh-huh. I'm, hearing, I'm hearing good things uh, from people that have seen it. But, um, you know, I, I saw the original. But I'm not going to let anything slip i'm not going to give you any inkling one way or another whether or not it's successful or not but um let me ask you this grace when you first heard that they were adapting this for broadway initial reactions what do you think in the whole nine yards i think anyone who's ever seen the film always says oh why not on broadway why is this not on broadway i think that everyone has ever said that ever 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 and then there was talks about like vegas and i think there was like a vegas thing and then once they said it's coming to Broadway. I think collectively fans of this film went, please don't mess this up. Please don't mess this up because we want it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like musical theater Coke. And we, we, we've been dying to see this. And I think that it, unfortunately it didn't matter what the casting was. We were all going to hate it, <laughs> you know, cause it's not it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's my only take is that, um, you know, I, I'm always I'm a big Aaron Tveit fan because mm-hmm. I, I exist and have ears. Um, I'm a big Karen Oliva fan because I exist and have eyes like and ears. But like, you know, I don't I don't know if they were the right ones for this thing, and who right. who knows? And I'll I won't know until I see it. I think that Danny Burstein is an American treasure, and we should mm-hmm. count our lucky stars that he exists every day. So I'm I'm pumped that he has this iconic role. Who knows what he's done with it? I've heard it's very flamboyant and like is directed in a kind of a a different direction than Mm -hmm. the film. I'm unfortunately probably this person that was like, just remake it. Like just, just regurgitate what I saw in the film and put it on a stage and I'd be fine. And I'm not normally that person. What do you think? Yeah. No, when I heard they were going to adapt her for the stage, the first thing I thought was, please, dear Lord, don't have Baz anywhere near this thing. Like just, (laughs) you know, yeah. I kind of feel the same way about this, the news that they're going to remake, you know, or, 
do another you know matrix movie like that's fine just don't let it the warshawskis have anywhere near it um and it's for their own good basically so this way they don't you know screw it up um it's like I, a george I, lucas theory right exactly it seems like that's what it is yeah exactly just you you created the original story great good thank you move on um with the casting i, I gotta be honest like I am glad that they were thinking people of color. Like, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You, you know, you do not have to do this cookie cutter. Everybody's white you know, type of adaptation. Um, and I gotta be honest. The second that I heard that Danny Burstein was attached as Harry Ziegler, I was like, yes, yes, right, right. We were all like, um, I'm on board. I'm on board now. <laughs> right. Like, give the like whatever is gonna get this guy his first Tony Award. Like, just give it to him. He should already have two already. And. Yeah, um, you should have six. <laughs> you should have yeah. six, right? I mean, I I went back and I looked and I was like, okay, 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 yeah, you should have that. Man, that was that's a close call. Like, really, in my mind, at the very least, two. You could probably push four. Right. Um, yeah. um, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where if he doesn't win a Tony for this, then like, I can't. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I I I am protesting the Tonys from here on out. But um, yeah, no, that's it's it's awesome. Again, like I said before, I wish they had cast a little person in that role of, of Talor because again, he was a real person. And I've, I've, you know, this is a thing where, and if you've read, I'm mm-hmm. talking to the readers, if you've read a lot of the stuff that I've written on, you know, casting people of color, you know, when you're doing these, you know, when you're, when you're portraying these people that were real people, they should be portrayed accurately always mm-hmm. in my mind. So mm-hmm. if it was an African American person, if it was an Asian person, short, tall, whatever it was, they should always be cast accurately and respectively, respectfully, because that's they were real people. Right. I, and that that applies all over the place. That's why I've always said that, as sad as it sounds to some people, I always thought that the Von Trapp family in Sound of Music should always be played by white people. Again, it's just one of those things where if you saw an African-American Maria Von Trapp, I'd be like, no, I, 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 as much as I want diversity, yeah. it doesn't work. doesn't as work. Much as I, yeah, because I think that you can champion the fact that like people of color exist. <laughs> and yes. I think we can also just be like, okay, that was a real human. Let's not mess with their actual cultural identity. Right. So I think that that's a good take on that. Unless sure. it's Hamilton. And then again, this is like, <laughs> yeah, people drive me nuts. Like, especially, you know, that no, was an no artistic offense. choice. Thank you. Get out of my face. Get out of my yeah. face. White people trying to use that as a double standard. But anyway, um, really? yeah. So again, there were, there are a lot of things casting. You know, I wish we, that they had done with this musical, but um yeah, from from everything that I've you know from everything I saw from everything I've heard, you know, there's a lot of things to like about it, um, and it should be very interesting. Tony season. I think this will be one That's, of those yeah. that up there with Jagged Little Pill, Girl from mm-hmm. North Country, like um, all these. I think th- we're finally getting back in that rhythm of like true, like that sounds bad. Um, <laughs> we're finally getting back in that rhythm of like this is based on this thing, but then this is original. This is based on this thing's original. And I can't like, cause I can't have another year of like based on the famous, you know, like I can't do it again. So um, I think that there's a good mix of all of it because there have been great choices that have been made from movie musicals or book musicals or whatever. Like be more chill is based on a book guys. Like, don't forget, (laughs) don't sleep on it. Like it's, I mean, it's an original piece, but it's not an original piece. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see what's coming up for sure. Definitely. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I I have no doubt that this will, this show will last all year long. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to be in danger of closing at all before we get to the Tonys. Um, So yeah, we we shall see. But you know, the answer of should we get a remake? I guess it's the the question, you know, 
Should we, should this ever have happened in the first place? Let me ask you that. Um, so it's too soon. And, uh, even the Broadway show, like it's too soon. However, if it were to be made tomorrow, I put some predictions. I would love to see Taron Edgerton just because he's having a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, I just love the idea that it's to me, the new era of who that kind of guy is in Hollywood. Um, I also am pitching my husband because I'm obligated. Um, you know, <laughs> it's fine. And he's also biracial. So like, let's, that's let's a great go. choice. Let's do it. Yeah. Then I say for Satine, Lana Del Rey. Ooh, just hot saying, take. Right. Or, 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 or hear me out. This is, this is what actually would happen. And I'm totally behind it. <laughs> okay. Donald Glover and Rihanna. Benedict Cumberbatch as the Duke. I'm out. Whoa. I know. Honestly, I know. you put that on paper. I'm I'm there day one. Day one, okay, I'm there. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> we're there. We're the dramaturgs of the film. <laughs> uh, it's not Baz Luhrmann. It's um, it's Spike Lee. Anyways, there you uh, go. <laughs> there you go. I love so it. What, what do you think? I, I'm on board. I'm on board. Okay, I mean, cool. it's it's it's. I think it's one of those movies that you definitely. I don't think by remaking it you're going to erupt this fan base i don't think it's like remaking west side story where it's you know is this necessary really uh type of thing so yeah i'm I'm all with you there um awesome well grace thank you so much for joining us on this podcast yeah. before we go obviously i want you to plug and promote everything that you're doing i mean you've mentioned your husband a couple of times on this podcast so please plug him as well um anything he's up to the floor is yours please He's oh, he's my best friend. We're a team. Um, so my name is Grace Aki. I do comedy. I just did a, a solo show that I'm hoping to do in New York very soon called To Free a Mockingbird. It's kind of based on my own life, my family's life, bringing nice. it back. I know. The, the timing was um, <laughs> interesting. You uh, might get write, sued. I don't know. It's too close. I mean, Scott Rudin might. can eat my bits. But um, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. That was another thing. Uh, I'm going to write a subsequent show about what has transpired on Broadway called They Killed My Mockingbird. And uh, that'll be coming out uh, soon. But no, no, no. Uh, So yeah, Free Mockingbird is a solo show. It's under an hour. It's just about my life, my family's life, immigration, divorce, all those fun things in life. But I'm a comedian, so I try to serve it up on that kind of platter. Uh, Yeah. And so I have a show on YouTube as well called The Grace Show, starting up the podcast Hoping to be called drumroll, please. No, 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 no. Tell me on a Sunday. You're welcome, theater Ooh, people. Ooh, very nice. Uh-huh. Stories from friends of mine in various avenues of life, from the South in New York, being in this business, just fun things. And uh, oh, my husband Damon uh, did a show on uh, NBC called Rise. It was about musical theater kids. Don't know if you saw it at all. It was cute, short-lived, and uh, now <laughs> too he's short-lived. To do- too short-lived, but now he's going to be coming out with a Netflix series. It's not announced yet, but it will Ooh, feature okay. ballet dancing, which, um, thank goodness, and he's a dude, so he's going to be doing ballet for you guys. Anyways, there you go. That's awesome. And where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? Ooh, yes, please aggressively follow my Instagram. It's at Gracie, G-R-A-C-I-E, Aki, A-K-I. Gracie, Aki. Follow me. I do a lot of stories, post a lot of stuff. You may like it. You may not, but like it anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> and one day I'll figure out how to do the stories on Facebook and Instagram and be able to utilize all that as well. So there you go. Awesome. Um, folks, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com, where we are also, you can find these podcasts now on 
uh, well, I was about to say iTunes, but Apple Podcasts, because it's different now. So Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and TuneIn for all you Android users out there right now. So uh, we are across many channels, so to speak. And right now, the Onstage Blog Network, we have about a dozen shows on there. And we have gotten so big, there are practically new episodes coming out every single day on the wow. Onstage Blog Network. So definitely check it out. We're averaging about 10,000 listens per day. So um it's incredible to see how many people are listening to this. Probably Baz Luhrmann's listening to this right now because I'm sure he's the type that would see, oh, there's a podcast about Moulin Rouge. I got to listen to this. So mm -hmm. there, there you go. go. There you go. What's up, Baz? <laughs> um, definitely check this out next week. We do this um, this podcast once a week. Um, actually, I've got so much content right now. We're probably going to be doing it twice a week coming up. So actually, I can, I'll can i go ahead and just say what we're doing next. The next, next episode after this is Anastasia. We're, we're going to dip back into the animated well. We're doing Anastasia. Um, we've got another movie that you might know, Grace. Um, it's called Cats Don't Dance. <gasps> oh, stop. Oh, my so, gosh. I literally just suggested this to people. Um, big and loud. Get ready. Can't there wait you go. to hear that. There you go. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks as well. And, Grace, this, this was an honest-to-God pleasure to have you on this podcast. I was so excited that you wanted to do it, and now that we've done it, I mean, we've got two Asians on a podcast, which is great. Uh, by the way, what is your background, by the way? I, should, I never even asked you. Oh, uh, you know, classic 1962 American soldier goes to Japan to clean up the bomb situation, and then mm. here I am. So my mom's born in Japan, came here to Atlanta, and then here we are. <laughs> nice. Excellent. And of yeah. course, I am Korean, I think. I don't I don't know. <laughs> you have a 23 uh I did. I got it. I got it for my birthday. I'm, I'm waiting to go home so I can use it again. I might find out that I'm 50% white and that would just just blow my world up completely. <laughs> um, and I'd have to probably delete half my, my, my writing, but Hey, it's okay. It's all right. Um, yeah. there you go. But Grace, I would love to have you on all these podcasts. Honestly, if there's a movie that you love or loathe for that matter, just let me know. We'll do it. I mean, honestly, I'm awesome. wide open here. So anytime we'll um, do it again. Awesome. Grace, thank you so much. Thank you. And folks, thank we you, will see you. you next week here on the movie musical shakedown. Song to leave behind one day more. No day but today.